and um, do have your Bible open there at page 70. Now, I wonder whether you've come across escape rooms. Uh, Over recent years, escape rooms have been popping up all over the place. Uh, As I've been driving, I've noticed there's one on Malin Bridge that I might fancy visiting. Now, for those uh, who don't know about escape rooms, basically they're uh, an activity for a small group of friends, uh, sometimes colleagues uh, do them together as a team-building exercise, where you go to one of these venues where one of these has been set up, and you're locked in a room, and you have a limited amount of time to work out a, a number of clues, to solve a series of riddles, to find your way to maybe a key or a, a hidden secret door that allows you to escape the room. You're against the clock and you've got to use your ingenuity and your teamwork to find out a way of getting out. Over the last 18 months, uh, we've gone through several lockdowns. Uh, You'll remember there was a time when we weren't allowed to leave our homes apart from for food, medicines, or to go for a daily form of exercise. Bizarre to have lived through that kind of time. And maybe that's left you wanting to get out of the house Maybe get out of Sheffield, as I know some of us have been doing in recent weeks. Or perhaps you're one of the hundreds of thousands crossing your fingers, hoping to jet off and get out of the country uh, over the summer months, if that's allowed. Back in the 80s, uh, the band Queen first sang those words that capture it well, I want to break free. Well, this morning, we are focusing on one of the most important chapters in all of the Bible. Exodus 14. And it's all about getting out. In fact, the word Exodus means the way out. It's what the whole book's about. And that's because every one of the Israelites in that day had been born into slavery in Egypt. As a people, they'd been there for 400 years. It's all they'd ever known. And they needed to get out. And we're looking at this today, not because we're fascinated by ancient history. Maybe you are, but that's not the reason. But because the Bible says that every one of us has been born into a state of slavery. And God's burning desire through the centuries has been and continues today to be to get us out. You see, the New Testament in several places, invites us to read ourselves into the account of the Israelites crossing the Red Sea, to see it not just as an historical account, though it is, but as an example of Jesus' saving work for us. And so that's what we're going to do together in the next few minutes. We're going to look at what this chapter teaches us about how we have been saved, if you're already a Christian, or about how you can be saved if you're not. And it's all about getting out. So as we go through this chapter, we're going to look at three questions together. What are we getting out of? How can we get out of it? And why can we get out of it? Okay. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we were looking at the story of the Passover in chapter 12. And we saw how God had saved the firstborn of every Israelite home from the 10th plague. He told them to paint blood over their doorways so that his judgment would pass over that house. But not so for the Egyptians. Every Egyptian household lost their firstborn. Even Pharaoh, their king, lost his firstborn son. And so Pharaoh finally snapped and told the Israelites to get out. Get out of Egypt. Go. 
And so in chapter 14, they've left Egypt. They're marching out into the desert. And yet they're still not free. Not really. For two reasons. Firstly, because Pharaoh hasn't really let go of the Israelites. And secondly, intriguingly, because the Israelites haven't really let go of Pharaoh yet. So when Pharaoh is told that the Israelites have fled, the magnitude of what's just happened begins to dawn on him. And verse 5, look at verse 5 of chapter 14. He says, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. This is an economic catastrophe for Egypt. In our own country, over the last 18 months, our economy has taken a hammering because much of the workforce has been on furlough. The chancellor is very eager for that scheme to come to an end because it is economically devastating to a country to have its whole workforce off. But imagine a country losing its entire workforce overnight with no prospect of them ever returning. And that's what's just happened to Egypt. So Pharaoh changes his mind. And haven't we been getting used to that in this story? He can't allow this to happen. And in verse 6, he gathers his whole army, all his military strength, and goes after the Israelites. Have a look at verse 6. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. Now look at what all this does to the Israelites. In verse 8, it says they were marching out boldly. They must have been thinking, great, we're finally out of Egypt. We're free. But then look at verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They were terrified. Do you see, with one glance at Pharaoh and his army, their faith dissolved into fear. You can imagine it, can't you? The color running from their faces, their stomachs sick with horror at what they were seeing. In fact, they're so terrified that they say to their leader, Moses, in verse 11, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done by bringing us up out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Just as Pharaoh had said, what have we done? The Israelites point at Moses and say, what have you done? They seem to agree with Pharaoh that this has all been a terrible mistake. And they want to go back into slavery. And notice there at the end of verse 12, they can only see two options. Either they serve the Egyptians or they die in the desert. They see no other way. And so we come to our first question, what are we getting out of? At its most basic level, being a Christian is about being set free from a slavery that each of us was born into. The Bible says we're all naturally slaves to sin, which leads to death. And I expect many of us could hear that and think, nah, the Bible's misdiagnosed that. I'm not a slave to sin. And perhaps that's because we think of being a slave to sin as meaning being addicted to some certain behaviors that we naturally think of as sinful. 
But that's to misunderstand what sin really is. Sin is more about our deepest allegiances, the things we love and serve, the things that master our hearts. Sin is having a master or masters other than God and serving them above and before him. For some, it's the master of money. Their thoughts are often occupied with how they can get more of it. For some, it's popularity, their reputation at work, the number of likes they get on social media. For others, it's it's their home. I used to work with a lady who was constantly renovating her, her home. She went around one room after the other after the other, and when she was done, she just started on round again. She worshipped her home. It could be someone's children or their spouse. They don't just love them. Of course, that's right, but they worship them. They are the ones they want to please more even than God. And look, of course, it's not wrong to love your family or to redo the kitchen or to save prudently for the future. But one way of understanding sin is when we love good things, but in the wrong order. God should be the first in my heart, the one that I worship and serve. When I love other things or people more, it's not only bad for me because those things will never be able to satisfy my deepest desires, but it's, it's also wrong. It's also deeply wrong because God is the only one worthy of my worship and I'm failing to give him his rightful place in my heart and in my life. He is more good than my family. He is more beautiful even than my children. He has loved me more deeply even than my wife. He is the only one worthy of my worship and to be called my master. Sin is having and serving any master other than God. And Romans 6.16 says, Don't you know? That when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey. Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. The Bible says, naturally, we are slaves to sin. And this is the slavery God wants to get us out of. In all this, the Israelites are a picture of a Christian. They have been in slavery, and in one sense, they've now gotten out. But their slavery has different layers to it. In one sense, they're really free. But then the slave master changed his mind and demanded them back, and they were terrified. Why? Because at another level, in their hearts, they're still enthralled with Pharaoh, enslaved to him. You can take the people out of slavery, but it's another thing altogether to take slavery out of the people. Uh, Tim Chester explains it uh, like this uh, in uh, his book on Exodus. He writes, imagine a slave with a cruel master. One day, a new man takes pity on him. He redeems him from his old cruel master at a high price. A week later, the old master sees his former slave. He barks out commands as usual, and the slave's Every instinct is to obey, but he's no longer under the control of the old master. He no longer needs to obey. He no longer should obey. He needs to remember to whom he now belongs. 
If you're a Christian here this morning, that's exactly true of you. You and I have been set free from sin. We needn't sin anymore. We shouldn't live for sin anymore. We've been released from all our old masters. And that means that with his help, we really can live for God. He can be our master, the one that we serve. With his help, we can live holy lives. But the problem is we often don't believe with our hearts what we know to be true in our heads. And so when that old slave master of sin comes back up like it did for the Israelites in the desert, we feel compelled to obey and we act like we're still slaves. I wonder, do you see that in your own life as I do in mine? We believe that to to live for God in one situation or another is too hard or too costly. But here's the truth, Romans 6. It says this, Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have been set free from sin, and sin shall no longer be your master. Christian, do you realize you're free from the clutches of sin? And the death it leads to. You no longer need to serve sin or be enslaved to it. What are we getting out of? Slavery to sin. Your and my master now is God. Someone might ask, well, what good is that? To swap slavery to one master with slavery to another. And the answer is this, a very great deal of good. Because he is a master who loves us. And whom service to him leads to life. When we become slaves to him, we become truly free because we're liberated to be the people we were made to be. But here's our second question. How can we get out of it? And the answer is by grace. Take a look at verse 13. Verse 13. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Now, let me highlight a few words for you from that. In verse 13, it says, stand firm. You will see the deliverance of the Lord. They won't be involved in making it happen. They're just going to see it happen. And at the end of verse 14, what does it say they need to do in order to be saved? Do you see that? You need only to be still, it says. They are going to contribute nothing to getting out. That's grace, a gift given, not earned or achieved. So there they were, trapped between Pharaoh's army and the sea with no way out. And God, the ruler who rescues, made for them a way through the waves. Look at verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. They crossed over by grace. On one side of the sea they were in danger, on the other side they were safe. On one side was 
Pharaoh and all of his army and the imminent threat of death. On the other side, they were well out of Pharaoh's reach, untouchable. And that's what happens when someone becomes a Christian. A Christian is someone who has crossed over from death to life, from one side to the other, by grace. A gift given, not earned or achieved. Years ago, I asked a lady if uh, she was a Christian, and she looked at me and said, well, I'm trying. And I knew in that moment that she didn't know anything at all about Christianity, not really. But because being a Christian isn't about trying, it's about a change of status. It's have I crossed over from death to life or have I not? I was speaking with a man and asked him whether he had ever considered becoming a Christian. And he said, oh, no, 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 I haven't got enough faith for that. But how much faith exactly do you need to cross over? Look again at the end of verse 21. It says, the waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Now, just try to imagine that for a moment, would you? Just try and imagine walking through two unsupported walls of water. How do you think you would have been feeling? What do you think you would have been thinking about? I expect there were two kinds of people there that day. Maybe there were a few of them that were thinking, wow, check it out. Look at this. God's fighting for us. This is amazing. Maybe there are a few like that. But I'm pretty sure that there would have been many more people, and I would have been in this group, who would have been thinking, I'm going to die, 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 I'm going to die. All the way through what would have been a probably, probably quite lengthy walk. Look, there might have been a few there that day with amazing, impressive faith. But many more would have had very little faith at all. And you know what happened to those ones with a little faith? Just the same as the ones with great faith, they crossed over and were safe. And the point is this, we're not saved because of the strength of our faith. We're saved because of the strength of the object of our faith. You might be sitting here feeling very aware of how weak your faith is. The last 18 months since that first lockdown may have been a spiritual desert for you. You might be sitting here or watching from home and thinking, you know, frankly, I'm hanging on by my fingernails right now. And perhaps that's led to you falling again into old sins. And you're left left feeling unsure of whether God really can get you out of slavery to sin. Whether he really has taken you from death to life. Well, please let this be a comfort to you. If you feel like your faith is very fragile right now, like you're just not up to the fight, don't be afraid, Moses said. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. That's because we cross over by grace. Not by what we do, not even by the strength of our faith, but by what God has done. In John 5, verse 24, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. If you're trusting in Jesus, 
you're safe. You've made the eastern shore. You found that way through the waves. You need only to be still. Martin Luther, the German reformer, once wrote these words. So then have we nothing to do? No, nothing at all. Instead, we trust in what Jesus has done for us. What are we getting out of? Slavery to sin. How can we get out of it? Crossing over by grace. And finally, why can we get out of it? The Israelites escaped and the Egyptians didn't. Why? I mean, sure, the Egyptians are the baddie in the story, but the Israelites really weren't any better. If you doubt that, just read the rest of Exodus. They don't come off too well. The Israelites were a terrible bunch, and yet they were saved. What made them different? And the answer is this. They had a mediator. A mediator stands between two parties or people, and they're kind of like a middleman. The mediator represents one party to the other. So if two countries are squaring up for a fight, it looks like war might be on the way. They might invite a neutral country in to act as a mediator, to broker peace. Well, what makes the relationship between Israel and God different is they have a mediator, Moses. When Moses speaks to God, he speaks on behalf of Israel. And when Moses acts, he's acting on behalf of God. Look at that in our passage. At the end of verse 10, it says the Israelites cried out to the Lord. And in verse 15, it says, then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Moses is the representative of Israel and has to answer on their behalf before God. Then look at verse 21. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back. The Lord drove the sea back. And go on to verse 27, just over the page. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing towards it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. You see, when Moses stretched out his hand, God acted powerfully to save his people. The point is this, Moses was the middleman. He was so identified with Israel that he was rebuked for their sins. And he was so identified with God that God's power worked through him. He was Israel's mediator. And friends, you and I can be saved today because we have a mediator. One who stands between us and God. He is both fully man and fully God. And he is a better mediator than Moses could ever be. He was punished for the sin of everyone who trusts in him. And when he stretched his hands out on the cross, God acted powerfully to save his people. As he hung and died there for us, he made a way through the waves through which you and I could pass through which we could cross over by grace. And just as the waves of God's judgment tumbled down on the Egyptians that the Israelites might go free, in just that way, when Jesus hung and died, the flood of God's righteous anger at human sin poured down on Jesus on the cross that you and I might go free.
my friend, Jesus is your man, your middleman, your mediator. And he's your God. And why can you be spared from God's judgment? Because he wasn't. The waves fell on him that they need never fall on us. And so if you're a Christian here this morning, consider this. What are we getting out of slavery to sin? Do you really understand that you're free? You were a slave to sin, but not anymore. And you don't have to obey or fear your old master. You can change by the power of his spirit at work in you. How can we get out of it? Do you realize it's only by grace that you have crossed over? No room for pride. No debt to return. You need only to be still. Why can we get out of it? Because we have a mediator. Do you realize, Christian, do you even faintly comprehend just how great a thing it is that Jesus did for you when he stretched out his hands? And look, if you're not a Christian here this morning, let me ask you this. What are we getting out of? Do you believe what the Bible says? That we're slave to the slaves to the masters we serve, but that there is only one master who brings us freedom and life in his service. How can we get out of it? You too can cross over by grace, by allowing God to save you. So then is there nothing we have to do? No, nothing at all. Only trust in what Jesus has already done. Why can we get out of it? Because there's a mediator, Jesus. Can I ask, do you know him? Do you know that he can be your mediator too? Do you know that you don't need a great faith? You just need a little faith in the right thing. And do you know that when he died, all those many years ago, he made a way through the waves through which you could pass. Imagine yourself for a moment standing there with the Israelites on the western shore of the sea, Pharaoh behind you, the parted waves in front, and a choice to make. Will you trust in the man with his arms spread aloft? Will you take that way through the waves? Will you come and know the freedom and joy of life on the far side of the sea? My friend, come and let nothing delay you. Let's pray. Father, what can we pray to a God like you? Perhaps only this, alleluia. Alleluia, what a saviour.
Amen.